With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hey guys, Tennis.com podcast here on a Monday. I'm Ed McGrogan here with Steve Tigner and Pete Bodo. We are convening after the Shanghai Masters and some other events this past weekend where uh, Andy Murray, here's the big one of the week, took out Roger Federer. Um, Roger went through Soderling, Djokovic, had a tougher draw, I'd say, than Murray, but um, at the end, Murray played a very strong match, beat him in straight sets, and it was uh, the the next step of the roller coaster season that's uh, that's been Andy Murray so far. Um, Steve, you mentioned that it's just been a you know a touchy turvy thing since the beginning, and, and this is just the latest sort of instance of it. Yeah, he was he was way up in in Australia, made the final there. Then after he lost that, he was down for about six months. Then Suddenly he's back over the course of the summer. He beats Federer and Nadal in Toronto. And then he has a bad U.S. Open, and you figure, you sort of think maybe he's going to have a bad fall after that, and then suddenly he comes in and plays you know, one of the best matches probably he's ever played. He didn't have a, you know, a really tough draw, like you said. He, he, um, he, you know, he didn't have to play Nadal in the semis, but, but the way he played against Federer makes you, you know, now Murray's back in the picture, at least, at least for something like the World Tour Final. Um, you know, he really played a, a, you know, Federer was not at his best, but, but Murray showed again that at least at this level in these two out of three set matches at the, at the Masters, he, he has a game that can trouble anybody, he can really trouble, really trouble Federer, just Murray's ability to, to get everything and to, to change speeds. Very, you know, he played a very subtle, a subtle defensive match, but, but it, you know, it, it, it pretty much, um, it, it worked, it worked against Federer, Federer couldn't find any, you know, Roger said, at the end, that um, you know, the target just kept kept getting smaller and smaller, uh, and you know that's that's what Murray can do. Yeah, what do you think about that one, Pete? Well, yeah, I think it showed. Well, for one thing, it shows that the reconstructed Federer under the guidance of Paul Anacone is going to have some potential problems with Murray because you know, look, I mean, you know, Federer. I think Anacone's strategy and his attack-minded kind of philosophy is going to pay off against a lot of guys. And, in fact, Federer really needed it against a lot of guys. I mean, there are a lot of people who can beat Federer if he's going to sit back, if he's going to chip back second serves, or if he's not going to, you know, threaten these guys. And that's kind of what he lapsed into. He even said so himself. So now the redesign is said, okay, now you got to be a little more aggressive. you got to really unload with that forehand. you got to be prepared to come to the net. you got to be able to really, you know, whack that second serve. And, yeah, that sounds good on paper, but then you come across a guy like Murray who's got these exceptional defensive skills, and all of a sudden it looks like, well, gee, maybe it's not going to work against this guy. So it's just another problem on Federer's horizon in terms of, yeah, what, you know, his new attacking mode is really going to work against a lot of guys. Against Murray, judging from what we saw, well, you know, it's, it's not, a, not a slam dunk, at least not when Murray's playing the way he did. 
Yeah, the one thing with Feather, I mean, the thing I think was most surprising about this is that whatever your thoughts are about the the new the Paul Anakin and Roger Federer, he he got through Sotoling and Djokovic with uh, you know without too much trouble. Really, Djokovic was a, it was a close first set, and then he really kind of wilted at the end there, and he had really no trouble with Sotoling. And these are two guys who have who have beaten Federer this year, beaten Federer in very big matches. Um, so it's it's uh, I, I guess. I guess maybe the template doesn't work for every player. Every player, every player is different, but Andy Murray, um, to his credit, I thought he served very well this match, um, and just didn't seem to uh, didn't seem to get too too high strung about the the stakes of the match. He at the Australian Open, you can kind of see Murray really just tense up with the moment. It's obviously a Grand Slam final. This is a different thing, but. He seemed all throughout like he knew that he could beat Federer from the beginning. And I think after the match, he even said that he relished playing. He doesn't fear him at all, and it's just, it's just another step. Whether it's a bigger thing remains to be seen. That we won't know that until Australia. Yeah, I felt like there was a little bit of difference in Murray in this match, and he always plays with a little bit of frustration, a little anger. But this time, I felt like he directed it better. He didn't, he didn't get negative with it. He used it as a, as a way to. To be determined, it was more resolved. There was a there were a couple points. You know, it was the scores were three and two, but there were a couple points where it, it could have changed. He was down a break point at four three in the first set, and he came up with a big serve there, and he really looked like, you know, he he thought, okay, this is the time when I have to keep Federer from, you know, keep him, keep him down, keep him behind, because once Roger if Roger breaks there and 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 feels like he's he's gotten out of something, then then the whole match changes. But Murray, Murray felt like. Yeah, there was a little less pressure than a slam, which you know that's that's the thing that that everyone will, will wonder when he comes back to Australia. You know how that, that psychological element, the the pressure of of his of the media and where he is and the and the the streak of um, British and you know non-slam winners, whether he can whether he can sort of put that out of his mind and play this kind of match. Well, here's something interesting for you. The um you look at the record, Federer wins his first Wimbledon. He's almost 23. He was closing on 23. Murray is 23 right now. So, like, first Grand Slam, well, you know, Federer, Roger Federer, it's not a bad role model, basically. So if he won his first slam at around 23, Murray's still in pretty good shape. But the other really interesting detail to me is that Federer's record, guess Federer's record in Masters events before he wins Wimbledon. How many titles did he have, fellas? Well, none. He is 0-25 in Masters events in terms of titles. Now, he played 25 Masters events, won no titles. Then he wins Wimbledon. So, you know, in some ways, you can't – that certainly wasn't a product of planning. I'm sure Roger Federer would love to be 25 and <laughs> 25 in those finals. But the fact is he didn't win a single Masters. Murray's already got six Masters events titles. Unfortunately, that also drives forward the expectations in this narrative that, you know, Murray can't handle Grand Slam pressure, that he doesn't have the stamina for two weeks, mentally or emotionally, as well as physically, perhaps, and a lot of other things come into play. So it makes makes Murray's life very complicated that he wins this tournament. You know, it's, it's really kind of a mixed blessing. Yeah, he's only, I think he's almost won about half of the Masters that are available out there. He's won four or five different events now, and it's just, you're right, the, the pressure is just, certainly just going to ratchet up in the next coming months. I want to mention one other player that we talked about had expectations a long time. It seems like a long time ago, at least in tennis terms. Uh, she delivered on the expectations originally. It was Anna Ivanovic. She, in 2008, two years ago, she wins a French Open. This is after she reached the Aussie Open final and becomes world number one. And since that point, it was really just a downhill spiral. And one of the last 
one of the last, the last title that she won before this past week was in Linz, Austria in 2008. And this past week in Linz, this was the field that was supposed to have Serena Williams. Um, Ivanovic wins the title, first title in two years. A lot has happened in two years in tennis since then. But it's, it's just shocking that Ivanovic tumbled that far. But she has had actually some stronger results of late. Um, not to look forward to Ivanovic. I think this, this is just sort of a, an, inter- an interesting case study on its own. Just what happened to her to just to refresh it? Like, why, why did you see a, a world number one tumble so quickly? Confidence, strokes, what are your guys' takes on that? I think to hear her and her coach talk about it, they felt like she was pushed into the number one slot a little earlier than than she than she um, should have been because Justine hadn't retired. But but um, you know Anna did it with she won a slam. She she's not one of the number ones who who didn't have a slam. So she did show that she can win in those situations. Then then there was more pressure. She lost her serve. Whether that for whatever reason that happened, that that sort of became. The keystone to her game going down, she she couldn't you know she couldn't toss the ball and everything sort of seemed to spiral down from there. Um, but you know it's it's great to see her win win this tournament because she could have gone the way of you almost felt like she could have gone the way of somebody like Anna Kornikova, never really gotten it back, never gotten that confidence back. But but now there's you know you get the feeling maybe maybe it is there, maybe there's something you know, she does have that game that she can still win. Well, you know, patience is a virtue, and I think that was demonstrated. The biggest challenge for Ivanovic was going to be not to lose confidence, not to lose space, not to get lost in a funhouse. She's a very level-headed girl. We've been on it all along, so there was, you know, she wasn't going to suddenly become, you know, Miss Glamour Queen and, and you know, trounce around. But, you know, that stuff had an impact on her. You know, she, you know, all these opportunities that came her way, tremendous celebrity and stuff, she took advantage of those, you know, within reason. But they, they all amount to distraction, no matter how you cut it at some point. All that stuff just becomes white noise in the background. But I think above all, you know, she's shown that she really wants to be a tennis player. You know, she knows and she hasn't, you know, she, she's been able to maintain. You know, she didn't have a lot of confidence for a long time. You could tell. And she even admitted it. She said, you know, she, her confidence was really low. She's really frustrated. She felt disappointed. There was a terrible incident in Montreal where she wasn't given a wild card. You know, I wonder how those people feel right now. I'm not, not sure she'll ever set foot in Canada again. But, you know. She persevered basically, and she kept looking for solutions. And she, and she, I think she proved with this that she's, you know, first and foremost a tennis player, and that's what she really wants to do is get her, herself sorted out and back on track. She's still gonna, I think, gonna have a tough time. Although in today's WTA, you never know. But if you get a player who's consistent, who goes out there, who, you know, uh, a Victoria Azarenka type player who who hits hard and is is going to really dedicate herself as well, then. You know, Ivanovic, you know, she doesn't quite have the firepower that would enable her to dominate people. She's always going to be need, need to be on her game to win tournaments, as she was during that torrid streak when she got to be number one. The French Open got to be number one. So, you know, her work's cut out for her. But look, if she's, she'll be a, she'll be a happy person if she's up in that in five top five, top ten area, and occasionally pops up, wins a couple tournaments a year. And in today's WTA, Peter, I should mention that your player, who we've always mentioned, Kimiko Date Krom made a final, almost became the oldest single champion ever at 40, lost to spring chicken 33-year-old Tamarine Tanisugar in there. So so she did well, the rec player of all rec players, as you like to say. So uh, that's all for now. We'll be back later in the week with Pete Bodo, Steve Tigner, and Ed McGrogan. Thanks for listening. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.